Welcome to the Ramayan Podcast, a weekly podcast featuring an episodic reading in English of St. Tulsidas's version of the epic Ramayan. At the close of our last episode, King Dasharath, his four sons, and their brides were re-entering Ayodhya, and we begin this episode in the Balkhand at verse 347. Good omens manifested themselves, and the gods rained down flowers to the beat of drums, while celestial dames danced for joy, singing melodious triumphal songs. Bards, minstrels, rhapsodists, and skilled dancers chanted the glory of him, Sri Ram, who illumines all the three worlds. Auspicious shouts of victory and the sacred and melodious chanting of the Vedas were heard in all the ten directions. Musical instruments of all kinds began to play. Gods in heaven and men in the city were enraptured alike. Members of the bridegroom's party looked smart beyond description. They were highly delighted and could not contain themselves for joy. The people of Ayodhya then greeted the king and were gladdened at the very sight of Sri Ram. They scattered about him jewels and vestments. Their eyes were full of tears and their bodies thrilled over. The women of the city gladly waved lights around his head and rejoiced to see the four noble princes. They were all the more gratified when they lifted the curtains of the beautiful palanquins and beheld the brides. Thus gladdening the heart of all, they arrived at the entrance of the royal palace. The delighted mothers waved lights over the princes and their brides. They waved lights again and again. The love and rapture which they felt in their hearts was beyond all words. They scattered about their sons and daughters-in-law ornaments, jewels, and costumes of various kinds and numberless other articles. The queen mothers were enraptured to behold their four sons along with their brides. As they gazed again and again on the beauty of Sita and Ram, they felt delighted and regarded the object of their life in this world as realized. The queen mother's companions, as they gazed on Sita's countenance over and over again, sang and extolled their good fortune. Moment after moment, the gods rained down flowers, danced and sang and offered their homage. Seeing the four charming couples, Goddess Sharada ransacked all her stock of similes, but her choice fell on none. They all appeared too trivial. She therefore stood gazing with unwinking eyes, enchanted with their beauty. After performing the rites prescribed by the Vedas or family usage, the queen mothers waved lights over all the princes and their brides and conducted them to the palace, offering water to them as a mark of respect and spreading carpets along the way. There were four exquisitely beautiful thrones, which had been fashioned by Cupid with his own hands, as it were. The queen mothers seated the brides and their bridegrooms on them, and reverently laved their holy feet. They then worshipped the blessed couples in accordance with Vedic ritual, by offering them incense, light, and oblations of food. They passed lights around them again and again, and waved beautiful fans and chowries over their heads. They scattered offerings of various kinds about them, the mothers were as full of exaltation as a yogi who has realized the highest truth, or as a lifelong patient who has been able to lay his hands on nectar, or as a born pauper who has stumbled on a philosopher's stone, or as a blind man who has regained a good vision, or as a dumb fellow whose tongue has been transfused with the eloquence of Sharada, the goddess of speech, or even as a hero who has triumphed in battle. The mothers derived joy millions of times greater than the joys mentioned above, for in their case it was the delighter of Ragu's race himself who had returned home with his brothers, duly married. 
As the mothers performed the traditional rites, the brides and their grooms felt shy, while Sri Ram smiled within himself on perceiving the ecstasy and merriment of the occasion. The mothers gratefully worshipped the gods and manas with due ceremony, for all the cravings of their hearts had been satisfied. Bowing to all, they begged as a boon the welfare of Ram and his brothers. The gods conferred their blessings all unseen, and the mothers gladly received them by spreading the end of their garment as a token of respect. The king sent for those who had joined the marriage party and gave them vehicles, wearing apparel, jewels, and ornaments. Having received the king's permission and enshrining Sri Ram's image in their hearts, they joyfully returned each to his own house. All the men and women of the city were invested with garments and jewels, and there was jubilant music in every home. The king, in his exultation, gave whatever the mendicants asked for. Every attendant and every musician was sated with gifts and kind attention. They all saluted and invoked blessings upon the king and sang his praises, and thereafter the king, accompanied by his preceptor and other Brahmins, proceeded to the palace. Under Vashishta's direction, he reverently performed all the ceremonies prescribed either by usage or by the Vedas. The queens, on seeing a crowd of Brahmas, deemed themselves most fortunate and all rose to greet them. They laved the feet of the holy ones and helped them all perform their ablutions while the king duly worshipped and entertained them at meal. Overwhelmed with the host's civility, gifts, and love, they departed glad of heart, invoking blessings on him. To Gadi's son, Vishwamitra, he paid homage in various ways and said, My lord, there is no one so blessed as I am. The king lavished his praises on him and took the dust of his feet with his queens. He assigned the sage a fine quarter in his own palace, while the king and his whole gynecium kept a vigilant eye on his wants, even though unexpressed. Again he adored the lotus feet of his preceptor Vashishta and made humble submission to him with great affection in his heart. All the princes with their brides and the king with his queens bowed to the preceptor's feet again and again, while the great sage invoked blessings on them all. With his heart overflowing with love, he made entreaties to the guru and placed his sons and all his wealth before him. The great sage, however, asked for and accepted only his customary due as family priest for the ceremonial occasion and blessed him in profusion. And with the image of Sita and Ram installed in his heart, he gladly proceeded to his own residence. The king then summoned all the Brahmin dames and invested them with beautiful robes and ornaments. He next sent for the married women of the city whose husbands were alive and who, though born in Ayodhya, were married elsewhere, and presented them with garments of their liking. All those who were entitled to receive gifts and presents on ceremonial occasions received their due from the jewel of kings, who rewarded them according to their choice and the king duly honored those guests whom he regarded as worthy of affection and adoration. The gods who witnessed Sri Ram's wedding rained down flowers while applauding the jubilation, and with the beat of drum the celestials gladly proceeded each to his own abode, talking to one another of Sri Ram's glory with their hearts overflowing with love. Having shown everyone all possible honor, the king, whose heart was overbrimming with joy, visited the private apartments and beheld the princes with their brides. He gladly took the boys in his arms and experienced the thrill of joy which no one could tell. Similarly, he affectionately seated the brides in his lap and caressed them again and again with a heart full of rapture. The ladies of the gynecium were delighted to behold this spectacle. 
the heart of everyone became an abode of joy. The king related how the wedding had taken place, and everyone was delighted to hear the account. The goodness, amiability, nobility, loving nature, and the splendid wealth of King Janak were extolled by King Dasharat in a variety of ways, even as a rhapsodist would do, and the queens were enraptured to hear the record of his doings. After bathing with his sons, the king called the Brahmins, the preceptor, and his own kinsmen, and having entertained them at meal, feasted himself on a variety of dishes till a couple of hours of the night had passed. Lovely women sang joyous songs, and the night became a source of delight and soul-enchanting. After rinsing their mouth, the king and his party were all given beetle leaves, and adorned with garlands and sandalwood paste. They looked most charming. Looking once more at Sri Ram, and having received his permission, they proceeded each to his own house, bowing their heads to him. The love and rapture, merriment and magnanimity, prosperity, splendor, and loveliness that manifested there were more than could be told by a hundred Sharadas and Sheshas, Vedas, Brahmas, Shivas, Ganeshas. How then can I describe them at length any more than an earthly serpent could support the globe on its head? The king then summoned the queens, and showing every honor to them all, admonished them in gentle tones. The brides are yet damsels, and have come to a strange house. Therefore, take care of them, as eyelids protect the eyes. The boys are feeling tired and drowsy. Go and put them to bed. So saying, he retired to his own bedroom with his mind fixed on Sri Ram's feet. Hearing the sweet and loving words of the king, the queens made ready bejeweled beds of gold and furnished them with many a rich covering, soft and white as the froth of cow's milk, and pillows more charming than words can tell. The bedchamber, made of precious stones, was decked with garlands and supplied with perfumes, lamps consisting of bright gems, and a canopy lovely beyond words. He alone who saw it could know what it was like. Having thus prepared a number of fine beds, the queens took up Sri Ram and lovingly laid him down upon one of the beds. On being repeatedly asked by Sri Ram, his brothers too retired each to his own bed. As the mothers gazed on the swarthy limbs of Sri Ram, so soft and attractive, they all exclaimed in loving accents, How did you manage, dear child, to kill the most dreadful demoness, Tataka, while on your way to the forest? How were you able to slay those monstrous giants, the wicked Marich and Subahu, and their followers, who were formidable warriors, and counted none before them in battle. I offer myself, dear child, as a sacrifice for your sake. It was through the good will of the sage Vishvamitra alone that God kept away a number of calamities from you. Even while you and your brother Lakshman guarded the sacrifice, you were initiated into all the secret lore. At the mere touch of the dust from your feet, the hermit's wife Ahalya attained salvation and your glory filled the whole universe. In the assembly of princes you broke Shiva's bow, hard though it was as a tortoise shell or adamant or rock. You gained the glory of having triumphed over the world and won the hand of Janak's daughter, and then returned home after marrying all your brothers. All your actions have been superhuman and were accomplished only by the grace of the sage Kaushika. Our birth into this world has borne fruit today, as we now behold, dear child, your moon-like face. Our prayer is that the number of days that have been spent without seeing you may not be reckoned by the Creator at all. Sri Ram gratified all his mothers by addressing sweet and polite words to them, and fixing his thought on the feet of Lord Shambho, 
and his preceptors, Vashishta and Vishwamitra, and the Brahmins in general, he closed his eyes in order to sleep. Even during sleep, his most charming countenance gleamed as a red lotus, half-closed at eventide. In every house, women kept vigil and railed at one another in auspicious strains. The queen said to one another, See, friends, how resplendent the city is, and how splendid the night! The mothers-in-law then slept with the lovely brides enfolded in their arms, even as serpents would clasp to their bosom the gems from their hood. At the holy hour before dawn the Lord awoke, and the cocks commenced their beautiful crowing. The rhapsodists and genealogists sang his praises, while the citizens flocked to the gate to make their obeisance. The four brothers saluted the Brahmins and gods, as well as their preceptor and parents, and were glad to receive their benedictions. The mothers reverently gazed on their countenances as the princes repaired to the gate with the king. Though pure in themselves, the four brothers performed all the purificatory acts, such as evacuating the bowels, cleansing the privates in the hands with water and clay, rinsing the mouth, brushing the teeth, cleansing the tongue, etc., and bathed in the holy river Sarayu, and having gone through their morning routine of prayer, returned to their sire. The king, on seeing them, clasped them to his bosom, and the four brothers gladly sat down on receiving his permission. The whole court was gratified to see Sri Ram and accounted their eyes supremely blessed. Then came the sages Vashishta and Vishwamitra and were seated on splendid seats. The father and sons adored the sages and clasped their feet, and the two preceptors were enraptured to behold Sri Ram. The sage Vashishta narrated sacred legends, while the king and the ladies of the Gynecium listened. In the course of his narration, the sage gladly recounted in diverse ways the doings of Vishwamitra that surpassed the imagination even of hermits. Vamadev, another family preceptor of King Dasharat, observed that whatever Vashishta said was true, and that Vishwamitra's fair renown had pervaded all the three spheres. Everyone rejoiced to hear that, while Sri Ram and Lakshman were all the more delighted at heart. There was constant felicity, joy, and rejoicing, and days rolled on in this way. The city of Ayodhya was inundated with a tidal wave of delight, swelling higher and still higher. After fixing on an auspicious day, the sacred strings tied round the wrists of the brides and bridegroom before the wedding for warding off evil spirits were united with no little felicity, joy, and merriment. The gods were filled with envy to see new rejoicings every day, and begged of the Creator that they might be born in Ayodhya. Vishwamitra intended leaving every day, but was detained by Sri Ram's affectionate entreaties. Seeing the king's devotion to him grow a hundredfold day after day, the great sage Vishwamitra was full of praise for him. At last, when he asked permission to go, the king was greatly moved, and with his son stood before him, saying, My lord, all that I have is yours, while I and my sons and wives are your servants. Be ever gracious to these boys, and condescend from time to time to bless me with your sight. So saying, the king with his sons and queens fell at his feet, and speech failed his tongue. The Brahmin Vishwamitra invoked upon him every kind of blessing, and departed amid a scene of love that defied all description. Sri Ram and all his brothers lovingly escorted him and returned only when they were allowed to go back. The delighter of Gadi's race gladly went on his way praising to himself Sri Ram's beauty, King Dasharat's piety, 
the wedding of Sri Ram and Sita, and the festivities and rejoicings connected therewith. Vamadev and the wise preceptor of Raghu's race, Vashishta, once more narrated the story of Vishwamitra, Gadi's son. On hearing the sage's bright glory, the king praised to himself the value of his stock of merits, which attracted the sage to his house and won for him his favor. At the royal command the people dispersed, while the king with his sons returned to his palace. Everywhere the people sang the story of Sri Ram's wedding, and his holy and fair fame was diffused through all the three spheres. From the day Sri Ram came home duly married, every kind of joy took its abode in Ayodhya. The festivities that followed the Lord's wedding were more than the goddess of speech or the lord of serpents Shesh could tell. I know that the glory of Sri Ram and Sita is the very life and sanctifier of the race of poets and a mine of blessings. That is why I have said something about it just to hallow my speech. For the purpose of hallowing his speech has Tulsidas sung Sri Ram's glory. Otherwise the story of Sri Ram is a limitless ocean which no poet has ever been able to cross. Those men who reverently hear or sing the tale of the auspicious festivities attendant on Sri Ram's investiture with the sacred thread and marriage shall ever be happy by the grace of Videha's daughter and Sri Ram. Those who lovingly sing or hear the story of Sita and Ram's marriage shall ever rejoice, for Sri Ram's glory is an abode of felicity. Thus ends the first descent into the Manasa lake of Sri Ram's exploits that eradicates all the impurities of the Kali age. And in our next episode, we will begin the second book of Ramayan, Ayodhya Khan. Please join us then. Jai Sita Ram! Jai Sita Ram!